take you back to 1983 when Ronald Reagan was speaking to the National Association of Evangelicals. Famous speech called the Evil Empire Speech. And in that speech, he says this. Let me take you back. Here it is. He said, so in your discussions of the nuclear freeze proposals, I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation to label both sides equally at fault, to ignore the facts of history and the, ingre- the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil. This is a powerful sermon. This is that moment where he calls the Soviet Union the evil empire. He's making the case that we need to bolster our our military power. We need nuclear arms. We need to face power with power. It is a battle none less than good versus evil. And he could have picked a lot of things there. He could have picked a lot of different words to use. But in front of a group of evangelical leaders, he says an evil empire. An evil empire. Why would he pick the word evil? Because Reagan knew the power of drawing on the full weight of the biblical story of that struggle between good and evil, the one where good wins. He's drawing on, he's making this deep allusion to the story of the Scriptures in front of this group of evangelicals. And he knew the weight of making that allusion. It's no coincidence, nothing random about Ronald Reagan in 1983 calling the Soviet Union an evil empire. He's able to make this powerful allusion back to the story of Scripture in front of all these other Christians. And it it had its effect. Even now we remember this speech. Even now we think of the Soviet Union as the evil empire. This is... This is something that's held in the imagination of the American people. Even now, we're almost 40 years from that moment. Let me go backwards just 20 years before that in August of 1963, a famous speech. You probably know it. Martin Luther King Jr. standing at the Lincoln Memorial giving his I Have a Dream speech. And in that speech, he has this moment where he says this, We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. A powerful moment in that speech. The most powerful moment in that speech is the cadence of, I have a dream, I have a dream. But one of those other moments in the speech that gets replayed over and over is this line. A moment where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. It's poetic, powerful. What an image. Where did he get it from? Make it up on the spot? No. That's an allusion to Amos chapter 5. That prophet of the Old Testament that called the nation of Israel to justice. And so that moment when Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial wants to make a powerful plea for justice, he makes an allusion back to the Old Testament prophets. He grabs this image from Amos a powerful prophet to the nation of Israel. And when he did that, he was able to bring forward the full weight of the Old Testament, all the authority, and bring it forward in that moment. It wasn't just Martin Luther King Jr. speaking. It was the prophet Amos and the prophet Micah, the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel. He pulled the whole tradition with him 
with this illusion. He didn't quote it exactly, but he pulled the image, this illusion. There was nothing random about this image. He didn't just come up with it on the spot. Ronald Reagan, nothing random about his illusion. Martin Luther King Jr., nothing random about this illusion to the Old Testament prophet Amos. Well, that has a lot to do. This, these two examples have a lot to do with what we're going to see today. This morning, we're actually we're moving finally from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3. We're now stepping into the next first sermon in the book of Acts. And we're only going to look at just a few lines of the actual sermon because what's most important about the first step into this next sermon that Peter gives is what happens before the sermon. What happens before the sermon? Because the sermon is set up from what happens before. So we pick up Acts chapter 3. Here it is. Acts chapter 3, we're going to pick up with verse 1. We'll go all the way down to the first half of verse 13. Take a look at what happens. And then maybe we'll make some connections to Ronald Reagan and Martin Luther King Jr. We'll see. Here it is. One day, Peter and John, well, they were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, well, he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And talking, talking him, uh, taking him by the right hand, and he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness has made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And that's where we'll stop this morning. We're going to stop right there. Now, in those 13 verses, there is a lot of description of this lame man. We hear a lot about how lame he was by birth, carried on a mat, he begged, he did this every day. There's a lot of description wrapped around the lameness of this man. And then when this man is healed, over and over again there are descriptions of what happened. Multiple times we're told he walked. Not only did he walk, his legs and ankles were strengthened. Not only did he walk, his legs and ankles strengthened, he went dancing. And then he not only just stayed where he was, he went into the temple courts. And then, not only that, he stood right next to Peter and John. Multiple verses describing the scenario here. And you know, any time in the Bible, which is often condensed, Condi uh, uh, this is usually condensed narrative. Anytime you see this much description, you need to pay attention to why the description. 
Why would it be so important to hear when this man became lame? And what he would do day by day. And why would we need to know that his legs and his ankles were strengthened? And why would we need to know over and over again that he walked and he danced and he went here and there? Why would we need to know all of this? Because this story, there is nothing random here. Nothing random about the story. This story was put here for a purpose. The story tells us something very important about Jesus. You see, the word for lame is holos. That's in Greek, holos. That's very important for us to know because that word, holos, the Greek word, this, this word that describes this man with all of the other descriptions wrapped around him, that word shows up in some very important places in the Old Testament. You see, there was a moment before Jesus showed up, a couple hundred years before Jesus showed up on earth, where a bunch of Jewish scholars got together and they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. This is probably what Jesus would have been familiar with, along with the Hebrew text. And when the New Testament is written, written in Greek, they are often referring back to that Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so we can often go and try to find connections between these Greek phrases, sentences, or words, and see where they might show up in the Greek Old Testament. And what we find is that word, holos, is showing up in some key places in the Old Testament. Places where the prophets are looking for a day when something special will happen. A day when God would return and God would be renewing His people, vindicating them, removing their enemies, making all things new. There are these promises God's making to His people. And over and over, the people are looking for a day when God would do this, wondering when will God show up? When will all of this happen? And in those passages, we see this word, holos, showing up. We see the lame popping up in these promises. We'll just take a, take a look two places. We're going to drive into the prophet Isaiah. So come with me, Isaiah 33. A very powerful passage. Imagine you, under oppression, having this promise with you night after night as you go to bed hoping for the day God would do this. This is what the Jews were doing night after night, day after day, as they sat under the oppression of their enemies. Here's the promise, Isaiah 33, 17 through 24. Your eyes will see the king. There's a king coming. You will see the king in all his splendor, and you will see a land that stretches into the distance. You will no longer see violent people with their strange, unknown language. You'll see Zion, that's Jerusalem. As a place of holy festivals, you will see Jerusalem, a city, quiet and secure. Well, the Lord will be your mighty one. He will be like a wide river of protection that no enemy can cross, that no enemy can sell upon. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, our king, and he will care for us and save us. And the enemy's sails will hang loose on broken masts with useless ta uh, tackle, their treasure will be divided by the people of God, even the holos, even the lame. The lame will take their share. And the people of Israel will no longer say, we are sick and helpless, for the Lord will forgive their sins. Now that's a promise you could hold on to. There's a day coming when God returns. God our King, and He will remove all our enemies. Anyone that comes into our land speaking a strange language, they will be removed and God will come and be like a big river. A river that no one can cross and our city will be secure. God 
will have come back. And you know what else will happen? Even the lame will get to, will start walking. That will be the day. What a promise. If you see lame people walking, you know God's come back. Take a look. Two chapters later, even more famous passage, Isaiah 35. We pick up here verses 1-6. through six. We'll take an excerpt here. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in these days. Well, the wasteland will rejoice and will blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. And you know what? There the Lord will display His glory, the splendor of our Lord. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and and, not, and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save. And when He comes, He will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. That day's coming. And you can imagine being a people who is who have felt... Uh, like the underdog over and over and over again, a people suffering for years over years over years, but carrying this promise that one day God's coming back. And in the day of Jesus, they're hoping that day will come sooner than later. And when that day comes, everything is changing. So if you took those two promises and we just summarized them in just a couple sentences, here's how I would do it. Here's what I'd say the summary is. This is these two passages say that God will show up and He will save His people. And when He does, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will talk, and the lame will leap like a deer. Pay attention to those lame people because when those lame people start walking, God's doing something. That's the promise. And so Jesus shows up saying, Ah, the kingdom of God has come. It is near. Turn the way you think. That word, repent. Change the way you're thinking and come. And come follow what I'm doing for the kingdom of God is near. Now you can imagine if someone comes proclaiming the kingdom of God, God is near and they too seem to be proclaiming to be king, you're hoping that an army is soon to arrive behind them. You're hoping to see eventually that enemies are removed, swords are being pulled, heads are being cut off. I mean, think about how you would remove an enemy. You're going to need to do it by force. And if you're going to take out Rome, this is the kind of thing you're going to need to do. But they have all the promises that the king will return. Jesus now has started saying the kingdom of God is here. But you know the thing that doesn't, isn't happening in all those, all those months that Jesus has gone around all the cities of Galilee and Judea to proclaiming the kingdom of God has come. You know what's not happening? No one's head has been cut off. No swords are being wielded. No army has amassed around them. If anything, it's a bunch of poor people. What kind of king is this? You would have struggled with that. And I would have. You know who else struggled with that? John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist knew that Jesus was this coming king. The problem was he didn't see, he didn't see any, of the, any of the power and strength that was supposed to come with the king. And so there was this moment when John the Baptist, who had at that point been in prison, he sends his disciples. He sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you really the one? Like, I mean, are you really the one? Or should we really be waiting for someone else? John the Baptist, at this point, is living in doubt. 
And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus that question. And here's what Jesus says. Matthew 11. Here's what he says. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You see what Jesus just did there. He just hyperlinked back to Isaiah 33 and Isaiah 35. He just made a strong allusion back to the promises of God and His coming and His salvation. And what He says is, although I may not have an army behind me, I am doing all. I'm doing everything at this point that was proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah. You go tell him that Isaiah 33 and Isaiah 35 is happening right now. You see the holos, those lame people, they're walking. Dead people are coming back to life. People who could never hear are now hearing. And people who never could see are now seeing. The promise of God's return has arrived. It is here. So no, it doesn't, shouldn't like strike us as odd then. That as Matthew continues to record the life of Jesus, guess what's going to keep showing up? The markers that God has come. That the God... The God of Israel who promised to bring His people back to rescue them from their enemies and restore all things new. He's actually doing restoration right there in their midst. And what Matthew will do is he's going to record how this is happening over and over. Because when the holos, when the lanes start walking, it's a signal God has arrived. So look at what, how, what Matthew says and what he records in Matthew 15. Great crowds came to Him, Jesus, and what were they doing? They were bringing... The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And what they do? They praise the God of Israel. Because that's the marker. That's the marker. Something's happening. The God, that this, this God of Israel who's in the business of making broken things whole. He's doing it right now. Our King has arrived in the presence of Jesus. And then, interesting, just days before He dies, Matthew records this about Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, here it is. The blind and the lame came to Him where? At the temple. And He healed them. Just days before He died. Jesus was in the business of fulfilling all those promises out of Isaiah 33 and 35. The hope that, that this, our God, can take broken things and make them whole. That our King will come and vindicate His people. He will rescue us. Salvation will come. Our King will arrive and the marker will be when Horos start walking. And that's exactly what's happening. And the final scene is that Jesus does it in the temple. Interesting, then after He is killed and comes back to life and then gives His disciples His Spirit and He ascends to heaven reigning King of the world, that all of those promises, all of those miracles, they continue with His apprentices. They continue with His disciples. That same Spirit that was working with Jesus, King, the King of Israel, and now King of the world, that same Spirit now in His disciples, going and establishing the kingdom of God as they go, well, guess what? The same miracles are going to follow them too. And so we see in the second sermon ever preached, at least the one we have recorded, we see another 
lame man in the temple being healed. This is no random miracle. It's not random that a lame person was healed in the temple. It's not random that this sermon happens at the temple. Jesus himself said that the message of the gospel had to start in Jerusalem. So the temple's not random, Jerusalem's not random, and the lame man's not random. All those descriptions. That he was lame from birth, and then his leg and his ankle were strengthened, and he went walking every time Luke records a detail. Every time he tells us that he's dancing, walking, 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 ankles, legs, strengthened, every one of those descriptions is another explanation mark that Jesus is the salvation. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is here. In the name of Jesus alone, we are saved. Every description, every description is an allusion back a strong allusion back to all the promises of Isaiah 33 and 35, and then everything that Jesus was doing in His own ministry, and now it is a pointer that Jesus alone is our salvation. That's what that is. So this lame man is a massive pointer to Jesus. And so it is not random, nor a surprise, nor an accident that the first thing Peter does as he starts the sermon is he tells the people, why are you surprised as he points to the man? Why are you surprised this is happening? And then what does he do? He says, you know our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He takes them back to their story and he says, it's no surprise that this, our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has done this through his glorified servant, Jesus. The first thing he does as he opens the sermon is he points to Jesus. Why would he do that? Because the miracle itself is a massive pointer to all the promises of salvation in Jesus. So when we see the lame man being healed, we, we have to put our eyes on Jesus. Now after Peter will wrap up the sermon, and we'll get to the end of the sermon eventually, but when he gets to the end of the sermon, he is then arrested. He and John are arrested. And he's put in front of the Jewish leaders. And he, they're told to explain themselves. Remember, this miracle is, if it is anything, a pointer to the fact that salvation is only in Jesus alone. So when Peter has to explain himself to the Jewish leaders, in Acts chapter 4, we find this recorded. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say just that. Acts chapter 4, here's what Peter says to the Jewish leaders. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we, are, we must be saved. The miracle is a huge sign, pointer, to Jesus, that Jesus is in the business of taking broken things and making them whole. And guess what? That wholeness is starting right now. That's what Peter's saying. And what Jesus was doing on earth, it now continues through us. And it will continue because God has arrived and salvation has come through His glorified servant, Jesus. Alright. There's a lot there. There's a lot going on. A lot of connection. You see how Reagan and and Martin Luther King Jr. all tie in here, right? 
What Peter was doing with the miracle was exactly what Reagan and Martin Luther King Jr. were doing in their speeches. He was linking back to this, a, great, a great story, a great promise. Well, now we've got to get that on the ground. I mean, what in the world does that mean for you today? I'm assuming you may not be lame, so what in the world does it have to do with you? Well, there are times when sermons have to step on our toes. There are. There are times when the words of Jesus have to cut us. And they have to bring change in our life. But there are other times when the words of Jesus and the Scriptures don't have to bring conviction. They need to bring encouragement. And that's exactly what I think this story does. Here's what I want, to, I want, to, I want this story and the beginning of this sermon to do for us. In a day where we can live so close to our daily lives, that is, so focused on the day-to-day, when you have to get young kids ready for school or church, and that's, that's, that's a real struggle, by the way. Struggle, that's a real struggle. When you have to get little people ready for anything, when you have to take care of older people who can't do much for themselves, when you have to get up and go to work or you have to deal with your finances, when you have to just make food for yourself, sometimes these daily struggles are all that live in our focus. Well, in those moments, we really need the instruction of the Scriptures to zoom out. We need the Bible to pull us out of the day-to-day and help us see out to the horizon. Here's, what I want, here's how I want to say it this way. Here's how, what I want to do with this application. I want us to zoom out and I want us to see the larger story that God is writing through Jesus. In Him, broken things will be made whole. The same Jesus who is taking lame people and making their legs and ankles strong is the same Jesus that is living and reigning right now. And that means that He is still about the business of making broken things whole again. That is your promise. And you can hold on to it as sure as you can hold on to anything else. And if your body's hurting and you're struggling, relationships are falling apart, you do not let go of the hope that this Jesus who made lame people walk is the same Jesus that one day will take all of your brokenness and make it whole again. That is something you can lean into for the rest of your life. And sometimes we need that hope to, to just wash over us. Literally just let, let, it, let it come to us. And let us sit with it because it can become so easy to just see what's right in front of us. And so let us be there. Zoom out. There is a larger story being written. And all things will be made well. No cancer can destroy the hope of Jesus. There's no heart disease. There's no, there's no, there's no virus. There's no unemployment that can take away the business of God making broken things whole. And so that's where I want to lean. And so I want to give you the vision, the full vision. You know, these deaf people hearing again, these lame people walking, where is that all leading to? What's this salvation only found in Jesus? Here's the thing it does. When you zoom out, you zoom out far enough, here's what you're going to get. You're going to zoom all the way out to the end of the Bible. Here's the vision. This is what we need. Revelation 21, 1-5. through Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth, well, they disappeared. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's 
the end of your story with Jesus. And then from there comes joy and singing and dancing and feasting. I don't know exactly what all the new creation will be composed of, but it will be of those things and much more. That is your story. But we must not forget that on that day that that man who had begged day after day, that day that that man was healed, you know as well as I do that there were other lame people in the temple. And they were not healed. On the day where God's salvation came in the form of a healing, there were others that did not experience it. There were towns Jesus walked in and healed everyone in the town. And just one town over, there were people left sick and dying. God did not save everyone from their physical ailments, from their struggles while He was on earth. And in the temple that day, not everyone was healed. There will be people who get cancer who will be saved miraculously by the prayers of God's people. And there will be people who die of that cancer. And their answers, the prayers never seem to be answered. There will be marriages that are brought back together after some deep rift. And there will be others that break and are never put back together. There will be adult children who go off and never come back. And there will be some that go off and come back. One will say, God didn't hear me. One will say, ah, praise the Lord. God listened. I don't know why some are healed and some are not. I do not know why some people are blessed with the answers of the exact prayer they asked and why some don't ever feel like they're heard. I don't know. I don't know why on that day there was only one man who seemed to have been healed when I know there were dozens more in the temple struggling. I don't know that. But I do know that at the end of the story, if you're with Jesus, all things are made well. And that's what I will hold on to. My body is healthy right now. But every day I think about the day when it will not be. The day where something happens where it will not turn back. And I am training my mind while my body is healthy for the day where I get a diagnosis that it will not come back. And I will not give up on Jesus. I will have a vision of Revelation 21. Do you know why you like happy endings? Have you ever watched a movie, got to the end, and it didn't resolve, and you're kind of upset? Why? Because inside of you, inside of you is built a story that has resolution. It just so happens that many people in our world have forsaken and have rebelled and they do not want to see the end of that story. That there is something inside of us that want the happy ending. Where would that come from? It's coming from Revelation 21. That's where it's coming from. There's a hole there that has to be filled with the, with the end of the story. The story that ends where there's no pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. And the reason I stick with Jesus is because He already went through it. Jesus already went through death and came back alive. He's reigning. He's alive right now with us. And so I'm going to hold on to Him because as long as I'm holding on to Him, I know my story ends well. One day my body may end in great pain. It may get riddled with cancer or I may have a heart attack I never recover from. I don't know. But I know this, that a hundred years from now, all will be well. And then after that, there will be a day of new creation. And there will be great feasting and joy and singing. Even me, who can't sing, will be singing. So this morning, take the story of the lame man. Allow it to teach you to zoom out. And to tell you, there is another story and it will never be taken from you in Jesus. Let that be an encouragement. And so hold on. And do not blame God. Just hold on. Alright, so here's the next step. I want to use something practical in our world. I mean, where do we see things coming to life? 
But we see it every day. Here's the next step. This week, let, let this real ordinary thing teach us. Watch a sunrise this week and remember the day is coming when Jesus will make all things new. So when the sun crests the horizon, remember the days coming where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more viruses, no more broken relationships. The day's coming. And as the sun crests the horizon, you remember that day's coming. No matter what your body's feeling like or how hopeless things are, you remember with Jesus, the sun will rise. And one day it will never go back down. It won't. And as you lay struggling at night, Know the sun's coming up. And keep that story in front of you. Uh, the day-to-day matters. Please, you understand. I, I'm all about ordinary life and how Jesus fits into, into what we do day by day, right where we live. But every once in a while, we need to zoom out. We need to zoom out from current events, zoom out from our daily struggles, and see that there is a story that will resolve, and it will all be with Jesus. And we need the hope, then, to steal us for the everyday struggles we have. So we look forward to that day. And let the sun rise. Let them teach us this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the way this story was put together, the way you were making promises long ago, and they have all been fulfilled in Jesus. We look for the day when there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more viruses, no more car accidents that take people suddenly from this earth. There will be none of that. So we long for that day, and we let that hope keep us walking one step in front of the other. And we look to the sun this week. We look to the sun cresting the horizon, and we get our eyes out at the at a distance. And we look forward to that. So we thank you for the scriptures, and we thank you for Jesus, your Lord, who is not only your servant, he is your son, he is our king, he is our teacher. So give whoever needs hope today them what they need and get through. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Together we say.